good morning and welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here. And if you're new, we are one church that meets in different locations. And so right now, we have family meeting out at our Stone Canyon campus, as well as others will be joining us later online. So here at North Garnett, if you would, put your hands together and welcome them into our time of study here today. And also, if you're new here, my name's Chad, and we've been in a series the past four weeks called Let It Go. And we've been talking about, we've been discussing different unnecessary and unhealthy weights in life that have a tendency to pull us down, to keep us from living the life that God wants us to live. And as we conclude the series today, to help me illustrate how unnecessary weight can hold us back or pull us down, I asked some of our staff members here at First Church to do a pretty easy and simple task, something they've probably done before, make a sandwich. But there was one little catch. They had to make this sandwich while holding one of these in their hand the entire time. They could not set down this bowling ball. They had to keep it in one hand the entire time while making this sandwich. And it was pretty fun to watch them try. So take a look at what happened. Anybody want a sandwich? We've got a few that are made this week, yeah. In case you're wondering what our staff does during the week, there you go. This is what we do, stuff like that. You know, life's a lot easier when you're not carrying around a bunch of unnecessary weight. Now, I doubt if any of us would try in our normal lives to make a sandwich while holding a bowling ball the entire time, but I bet all of us have tried to live the life that God wants us to live with weight that adversely affects our lives, that pulls us down that holds us back, that keeps us from living the life God designed us to live. Because there are spiritual weights that do just that. And that's why in Hebrews 12, verse 1, the Bible says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so in this series, we've been talking about some of these weights that hold us back. In the first sermon in this series, we talked about fear and how fear can paralyze our lives and keep us from living the life God wants us to live. In the second week in this series, we talked about empty religion and how empty religious practices can hold us back and keep us from having the relationship with God that he wants us to have. Lastly, we talked about ego and how when we let ego drive our lives, we will be headed for destruction and we will not be able to live the life that God has planned out for us. And today we're going to look at one 
one more weight as we conclude this series, and I think this is a pretty big one. It's one that we all struggle with at times, whether we want to admit it or not, and it's the weight of insecurity. Now, here's the thing. I could have talked about a lot of different spiritual weights this week as we concluded this series, because there aren't just four. There are tons of them, and you guys know that. And so we may come back and do another series later on, a let it go too, and talk about some other things that hold us back in our spiritual lives that weigh us down. That's possible. But I want to let you know something. When we are first planning out this series, the topic of insecurity is not how I wanted to finish up. I had a different theme in mind, a different topic to talk about, planned out. And as we got closer and closer to the end of this series, it hit me, I needed to talk about this, and anytime I have a feeling like that, I go to my wife first, and I went to Allison, and I was like, hey, Allison, what if I change things up, and instead of preaching on the topic I was going to preach on, I talked about insecurity instead, and she said, do that. That's what we all need to hear, because we all struggle with it at times, and so that just confirmed that that's what I need to preach on, but also I want to keep my wife happy, so I went ahead and decided to change what I had planned and preach on insecurity, because I think it is a big deal. Now, let me be clear about what I'm talking about. Because a lot of people, when they use the word insecure, what immediately comes to mind or how they define it is a lack of confidence. In fact, most uh, definitions that I looked up online or maybe in books on insecurity, they all define insecure the same way. It's a lack of self-confidence or a lack of confidence. And I think that can be part of it, but I think insecurity, at least the way the Bible defines it, it's much bigger than that. Because I know some pretty confident people who are still very insecure. In fact, sometimes we use confidence to cover up our insecurity. Now, I think insecurity on a spiritual level is much bigger than just lacking confidence. Here's how I'm defining it today. Insecurity is an inner emptiness that leads to unhealthy behavior. Let me say that again. It's an inner emptiness, like something's missing in our soul. It's an inner emptiness that leads us to carry out unhealthy behavior. So let me give you some examples of this. You're on the hiring committee at your work for your department, and so you're interviewing different candidates, looking at different candidates, and this really talented, gifted candidate comes before you, but you're not in favor of them. You know why? Because on the inside, you lack something. On the inside, you lack personal self-worth or value, and so rather than voting for the guy, supporting the guy who's most talented to join your team, you go for somebody else because you're afraid that person might show you up. How about this scenario? You feel unloved on the inside, unsupported, and so you crawl into bed with someone, maybe anyone, hoping to find what you're missing, but you wake up the next day feeling even emptier than you did before. What about this? You lack personal relational trust. You lack a general sense of acceptance. And so you refuse to be real around the people you love, the people who care about you most. You refuse to let them see the real you. And so you just continue to hide from them. And you won't be vulnerable around them. You won't be open with them. You won't be real around them. Because you're missing inner satisfaction or contentment, you chase after stuff thinking, if I just had this or if I just had that, then I would be happy. And so you continue to chase after these things and you work hard to get it. Maybe you put in long hours at work and what you end up getting is that thing that you longed for, but it still didn't bring you the happiness you thought it would. And in the process, you've neglected your personal health. Maybe you've neglected your family and even lost them. Maybe what you've done is you've just acquired more and more debt trying to get that one thing, that car, that boat, that house, that whatever that would bring you the happiness you're looking for. But all you've done is just accumulated a whole bunch of debt and you're not any happier in the long run. Maybe because you lack personal identity, 
You criticize others and you gossip about others hoping that by doing so it will make you feel better about yourself or at least make others think better about you because you lack inner peace. Your emotions rise and fall with every success or failure you experience in life. Your emotions rise and plummet with every positive and negative experience that happens. Or maybe because, again, you lack some self, you lack your identity. What you end up doing is you try to fit in with everybody. And you just go along with the flow and you put on different masks all the time because you just want to fit in. You just want to belong. I mean, any of that sound familiar? I bet it does. Because if I were to take a poll right now and have you guys raise your hands and say, how many of you have experienced something like that or done something like that? Maybe not the exact scenario that I presented, but something close to it. I bet just about every hand would go up. I already see hands going up without me even asking you to do it. I'm not going to ask you to do it because I'm afraid some people might feel embarrassed, but there's no reason to feel embarrassed. You know why? Because I'll be the first to raise my hand. I could fall into a lot of those categories. Insecurity is something that I have struggled with throughout my entire life. And that may sound odd coming from your preacher, especially a guy who stands on stage every single week and preaches before over a thousand people, but it's true. Because when I start to fill my life, my soul with things besides God, that's exactly what happens. Insecurity is an inner emptiness that leads to unhealthy behavior. And here's the thing. Our culture, the culture we live in, it continues to hand us a life that is empty. It continues to give us a life that just leads to more and more emptiness. And the whole reason why Jesus came was to change that. You see, Jesus came to flip the script of our lives by filling our inner emptiness with what our souls truly need and want. That's why the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the what? The empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Jesus came to ransom us, to save us, to rescue us from this empty way of life that so many people in our world today have settled for. He came to save us from the cookie-cutter existence that everyone else lives so that we wouldn't have to live an empty life anymore, but we could live a full life. That's what Jesus says in John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, Satan, our enemy, he loves to destroy our lives by playing on our insecurities. He fills our heads with lies that make us feel more and more empty. But Jesus came to replace our insecurity with what our souls truly need and want. And you know what our souls need and want? It's exactly what Jesus had. The love and the acceptance of our Father. See, Jesus' life was different. And people noticed that when he lived, when he talked, and people saw him on the earth, they noticed there was something different about him. And what was different about him is that he had greater peace he had greater joy, greater comfort, greater focus, greater purpose than anyone else who had ever lived. And people wanted what he had. And the reason why he had all that is because he had what our souls longed for, what our souls were created for, the love of our Father. And he knew that nothing that this world had to offer compared to the assurance, the security, the significance that he had experienced through the Father's love. 
See, whether you realize it or not, you were created for one primary thing, to live in relationship with your creator, to live in relationship with your heavenly father, to experience his love, to love him and be loved by him. That's what you were created for. That's what I was created for. And unless you live in that relationship with him that he designed you for, you will exist, but you will never really live. You will exist, but your life will be empty. You will always feel like you are missing something. But Jesus was different because he lived a full life and he came so we could experience the same thing. And because he lived a life full of the love and the acceptance of the Father, he was able to keep his focus, live out God's mission, and not be distracted by the things of this world that ultimately don't matter. And a great example of that is found in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, that's where we're going to be today as we study God's Word. So go ahead and turn with me or look up Matthew chapter 4. If you have our first church app, the scripture will be in our notes. so You can follow along right there. If you don't have any of those devices or don't have a Bible on you, the scripture will be on the screen as well. So you can follow along and read with me. And in Matthew chapter 4, we see a very powerful moment, a powerful experience in the life of Jesus. And it happens right after Jesus officially starts his earthly teaching and preaching ministry, which means it happened right after he was baptized. So remember, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan by John. And then right after that, this is what takes place, Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter, being Satan, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So Jesus, as he begins this three-year preaching and teaching ministry, which will eventually change the world, as he begins this ministry, what he wants to do is make sure his focus is right. And so he goes off to be by himself with God for 40 days and 40 nights. And he spends this time in prayer, and he also spends this time fasting, which means he's not eating anything. And every time he gets a hunger pain, he focuses on God because he wants to make sure that he is going to carry out God's plan as God wants him to carry it out. And Satan comes to Jesus at the end of this 40-year period. I mean, 40-year, 40 40-day 40 period. He comes to Jesus because he knows that the opportunity is right for him to try to test Jesus. And here's the thing. Satan, he is clever. He is cunning. He is deceptive. He knows what works in order to deceive people. And so he appears to Jesus at the end of this 40-day fasting period, and he offers Jesus basically the entire world 
on a silver platter. And what happened? We just read the account. Over and over again, Jesus resists him. Jesus isn't sidetracked or distracted by what Satan is offering him. And my question is, how did he do it? How did Jesus resist time and time again? How did Jesus stay so focused? How did Jesus so confidently say no to what Satan was offering him? Well, the Sunday school answer is, uh, duh, Chad, he's Jesus. So he's able to do that. That's how he was able to do it. Yeah, I get that. Jesus was fully God. But remember, remember the makeup of the incarnation here. Yes, he is fully God, but Jesus is also fully man. And I'm not sure how the incarnation works exactly. I mean, I have all the theological answers for it, but I'm not sure practically exactly how it works. But he was fully God and fully man at the same time, which meant being fully man, he could give in to temptation if he chose to, if he wanted to. In fact, the Bible says he was tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. So Jesus was tempted just as we are, and I think he could have given in to one of these temptations if he wanted to. If he couldn't give in, if it was impossible for him to give in to one of these temptations, why did Satan do it? Satan doesn't waste his time. He's too smart for that. It could have happened, and yet Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way just as we are. He knows what we experience when we experience heavy temptation, just as we are, yet was without sin. He resisted every single time. So in a moment of perceived weakness, when Jesus has gone without food for 40 days, Satan tries to tempt him, but it doesn't work. And I believe the reason why it didn't work is because nothing Satan could offer Jesus came close to what the Father had given him. I mean, Satan assumes, because Jesus is fully man, that he could play on the typical insecurities that most people experience, but it didn't work. I mean, just take a moment and look at how Satan tempted Jesus. He plays on the typical insecurities we all face and we all struggle with. I mean, first, Satan knows insecurity develops when we feel like we don't have enough. When we feel like we're missing something or we deserve more. And in our passage here, Satan initially tempts Jesus by telling him to turn stones into bread. Jesus, at this point, is probably hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry. And so Satan comes to Jesus and he says, Hey, you deserve to eat. I mean, you're the son of God. Your father wouldn't want you to go hungry. It's pretty simple. You've got special powers. Turn these stones to bread. It's no big deal. Take what's yours. Take what you deserve. But Jesus knows that food will only satisfy him for a moment. He's living for something greater, and he's not going to selfishly take what wouldn't be good for him spiritually. See, to turn these stones into bread in that moment, yeah, it would have given him instant gratification, but it would have shown that he didn't really rely on God and trust his heavenly Father. See, don't misunderstand me. Physical needs and wants are important, and God wants us to physically take care of ourselves. Absolutely. But loyalty to God is more important. And Satan sometimes will fill our heads with lies and say, hey, if you just had this or if you just had that, fill in the blank, whatever it is, if you just had this physical need or want met, then you'd be happy, then you'd be satisfied, then you wouldn't feel empty anymore. The problem is those things without God just lead to more emptiness. 
And they might be good things like food, which our body needs. But if you continue to meet all of your physical needs and you don't have God, those things will just lead to more and more emptiness. Let me illustrate that with a couple of quotes. I've used both of these quotes before in past sermons, but I think they illustrate the point that I'm making here so well. I want to use them again. Most of you have probably heard the name Deion Sanders before. He's... He was an incredible football and baseball player. Really, he's the only athlete in American history to do well in both the World Series and the Super Bowl. And in his autobiography, he writes about his life, especially when he was at the height of his career. And listen to what he says. Deion Sanders writes, Everything I touched turned to gold, but inside I was broken and totally defeated. I remember sitting at the back of the practice field one afternoon, away from everybody, and tears were running down my face. I was saying to myself, this is so meaningless. I'm so unhappy. We're winning every week, and I'm playing great, but I'm not happy. I tried everything, parties, women, buying expensive jewelry and gadgets, and nothing helped. There was no peace. I had everything the world has to offer, but no peace, no joy, just what? emptiness inside here's a guy who says I had it all and I tried to fill this void that was within me this emptiness within me I tried to fill it with parties I tried to fill it socially I tried to fill it with women I tried to fill it with stuff and yet I just felt more and more empty You've probably also heard the name Shia LaBeouf. He's a well-known young actor. A few years ago, he was probably the most popular male actor in Hollywood. And listen to what he said in an interview with Parade Magazine. He said, sometimes I feel like I'm living a meaningless life. I know I'm one of the luckiest dudes in America right now. I have a great house. My parents don't have to work. I've got money. I'm famous. But it could all change, man. It could go away. You never know. Most actors on most days don't think they're worthy. I have no idea where this what? This insecurity comes from. But it's a God-sized hole. If I knew, I'd fill it. He says, I have no idea where this insecurity, this emptiness comes from. But if I knew, I would fill it. And here's the thing. He just acknowledges what it is. It's a God-sized hole. It's a hole that only God can feel. It's a vacuum that only God can feel. And we know what Shia LaBeouf is missing, but he doesn't. And so he continues to try to fill it with all this other stuff, and he just feels more and more empty. Why? Because life isn't defined by what we have. Nothing this world can offer us compares to what God offers us. Your life isn't defined by what you own. But your life is defined by the relationship that you have with the one who owns everything. And I've often said, you've probably heard it said before, satisfied people don't chase after satisfaction. They chase after God and satisfaction finds them. Let me say that again. True, satisfied people, they don't chase after satisfaction. They chase after God and satisfaction finds them. So when this first temptation doesn't work, Satan tries another tactic. And he takes Jesus to the highest point on the temple in Jerusalem. And he says, if you're truly the son of God, like you claim to be, 
Throw yourself down. In other words, jump from this highest point on the temple. And God has promised that he will rescue. God has promised he will guard your life. God has promised he will take care of you. God says he loves you. Prove it. Let's see if God really loves you like he says he does. Prove it. Let's see if you're truly valued by God like his word says you are. Go ahead. Prove it. Jump. Let's see what happens. And I think Satan tempts Jesus in this way because he knows Insecurity develops when we feel unloved or we think we might be unloved. And many of us, because we have felt unloved in the past, because we have felt as if no one cares about us or we wonder if they do, we've responded to those questions about love by committing unhealthy behavior. We've responded by seeking love in all the wrong places, trying to fill that void. We've tried to find intimacy where we should, and we've even tried to create artificial intimacy by going on certain websites or having online relationships that we shouldn't have. Maybe we've responded to that by settling for a low self-image or trying to manipulate others, every relationship we have, trying to have the upper hand in every relationship we have. Maybe we've allowed ourselves to be used by people. Maybe we continue to put on a show around people in order to fit in because we just want to be liked. And so we continue to exchange one mask for another, just trying to feel liked and loved. But in our passage here, Jesus doesn't question the Father's love. And he doesn't have to put the Father's love to the test because he knows he is loved by God. And so therefore, he's not going to manipulate God by trying to force his hand. He knows his love and therefore he knows his true identity. He trusts God and he's not going to put God to the test. You know, the one person on earth that I know always loves me no matter what is definitely my wife. I have no doubt about that. And I've told people before that we have this little app on our phone called Find Friends. You may have this too. Or we can track one another at any time to see where we are. And I've had people look at me and say, you all do that? You track? Well, we don't rarely track one another. I'm not spying on Allison everywhere she goes. But sometimes, you know, you can't get a hold of her. You want to make sure she's okay. Is she on the road? Is she left where she's supposed to leave? And she does the same thing for me, especially when we have, you know, like elders meetings here on Thursday nights. And she's like, well, is he still at the elders? meeting it's 1 a.m is he still there or is he on his way home no not really they don't go that long but most of the time but still uh she'll look and say is he still at church is he safe or is he you know on the road somewhere and so we just occasionally look to see where each other's where each other are and i've had people say i wouldn't like that i wouldn't want my spouse knowing everywhere i am and i'm just kind of like really I trust Allison. I'm not ever worried about where she is or where I am. The only thing that I'm worried about is if something has happened to her. But I totally trust her. And having that type of relationship is so powerful. And you guys have seen marriages where there's not that trust, where they're always accusing one another and they're always questioning one another. That's not healthy. See, Jesus, he doesn't have to test God's love. He knows he's loved. And so therefore, he just blows off Satan's temptation like it's no big deal at all. But we've all been guilty probably of believing Satan's lies or the lies that people in this world have said about us. Uh, some of you guys know that the NBA draft is just a couple weeks away. And I'm somebody I like to follow the NBA and the NFL draft. And those of you guys who do follow it, you know that before the drafts take place, there's normally uh, a combine or a series of combines that happen where players either who want to go to the NBA or the NFL are basically, their skills are tested. Um, they put them on a stage before a bunch of uh, scouts and their strengths and weaknesses are scrutinized. And I think it's fascinating to watch some of this. And several years ago, there was a quarterback or a guy who wanted to be a quarterback on an NFL team. And this is what one scout said about him. Listen to his report. This scout writes, 
poor build, skinny, lacks great physical stature and strength, lacks mobility and ability to avoid the rush, lacks arm strength, can't throw the ball downfield, does not throw a really tight spiral, system-type player who can get exposed if forced to ad-lib, gets knocked down easily. I mean, that could be describing me, honestly, you know? But you know who that's describing? Anybody have a guess who that's describing? This guy up on the screen, Tom Brady. The Tom Brady. I mean, this guy, he's got six Super Bowl championships under one arm, and he's got a supermodel wife under the other arm. I mean, take that, Scout. I'm sorry if that offended you. Uh, I didn't mean to talk about a supermodel wife. Uh, so if that offended you, send your emails to Matt Thomason at First Church. He'd be happy to take care of that for you, okay? But what if Tom Brady had believed that Scout and said, football's not for me. I need to do something else. Think about all the wasted potential there. And oftentimes we believe the lies of Satan and we believe the lies that people tell us in this world and we forget our true identity. That first and foremost, we are the children of God. We are dearly loved by him and he has a purpose and a plan for our lives. Guys, I just want to let you know something today. You have never lived an unloved day in your life. And your identity is not found in the lies that other people believe about you. Your identity is found in what God says about you. And when you live in relationship with him every single day, he will constantly remind you of how valued, how precious, how cherished you really are to him. So when Satan finds out that Jesus is secure in the Father's love, he tries one more temptation. And Satan says, okay, why don't you bow down and worship me? And we might think, okay, why is Jesus going to do that? But... Satan, he's smart here. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And remember, why did Jesus come? He came to be the king of the entire earth, right? The entire world, all people. And Satan says, listen, in order for you to get there, you're going to have to, you know, do all this service for God and sacrifice yourself. And it's going to cause you some pain and heartache. Why don't you just skip all that? I will give you my dominion right now. I will give you the kingdoms of the world right now if you in this one time moment will bow down and worship me. Now, we know that if Jesus bows and worships Satan, then, he's, then God's plan is going to be thrown out the window, even if it was a one-time thing. But still, Satan tries. He says, listen, you can avoid the cross. You can avoid all that other stuff. If you just right now in this moment bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. What is Satan offering Jesus? He's offering Jesus power and influence. He's offering Jesus greatness, at least greatness as Satan defines it. And honestly, all of us, I think, want those things. We want to know that our lives matter. We want influence. We want to be difference makers. We want to achieve greatness. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as we achieve greatness according to God's plan. But you see, at times, we go after greatness and we want a shortcut to greatness rather than actually living the life God wants us to live. And so we'll sacrifice our convictions and our morals for that influence, for greatness as the world defines it. Because Satan knows. Satan knows that insecurity develops when we feel unimportant or we feel insignificant. And so he'll show us shortcuts, or at least they seem to be shortcuts. They don't get us where we want to go, but he sells them as that. He says, hey, you just come and do this and you'll feel important. You'll feel significant. 
So Satan looks at Jesus and he says, you want sovereignty over the whole world? You got it. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. You want influence? You want power? You want greatness? Here's your shortcut. But Jesus sees right through this. You know why? Because he already had significance. Remember what I said earlier. What happened right before Jesus went off for this time of fasting and prayer and at the end of it he was tempted by Satan? What happened right before that? He launched officially his preaching, teaching ministry and it began with what? Him being baptized, right? John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And if you guys will remember that moment, God's triune nature physically manifested itself. It's one of the few times in Scripture where that happens where Jesus is present, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and God the Father speaks from heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit are all physically present at one point on the earth. It's a cool moment. It's a powerful moment. It's a big deal. And do you remember what God said from the heavens? Matthew 3, verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. What are those words? They're a promise of two things. Acceptance and significance. This is my Son, whom I love. In other words, he's mine. He belongs to me. And I am with him. My presence is with him. My approval is upon him. My love is on him. And the last part of that statement, with him I am well pleased, meaning I have given him a mission to carry out. I have given him a task to carry out. And he's going to do what I've asked him to do. See, here's the thing. When we know that God loves us, and we fill our souls with his love and his acceptance. We trust him. And we live out a greater purpose for our lives. See, Jesus spent his entire life on mission, even to the point of going to the cross. Why? Because he trusted his father who loved him. He knew his father had his best interest at heart. He knew his father had a greater plan. And he trusted his father because he knew he was loved and accepted by him. And here's the thing, the more we fill our lives with the love and the acceptance of God, the more we will realize that we already have all we need. That we don't have to have that or this fill in the blank. We have what we need in this relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. And that love will give us the confidence, the assurance, the acceptance to go out and do what God is calling us to do. Guys, letting go of insecurity happens when we fill our lives with the love and the acceptance of God. And that's what we were created for. We were created to live in his love, to show him love, to receive his love. And as we fill our lives with his love, it leads to greater significance. See, sometimes people, I've heard people say, the reason why Jesus was able to resist all these temptations is because he knew what weapon to use to fight against Satan. He used scripture against Satan every single time. And he did do that. And scripture is a weapon we use against Satan. Don't misunderstand what I'm getting ready to say. But here's the thing. I think I know the Bible decently well. And I know those same passages that Jesus used. And I know others as well that I could use to fight off Satan in temptation. And yet I've still given in. 
You know why? You can have the right weapon in your hand, but if your soul's empty, you won't use it. Jesus was able to fight off Satan because he was full of the Father's acceptance and love. Letting go of insecurity happens when we fill our lives with the love and acceptance of God. And here's the thing. As we fill our souls with the love and acceptance of God, his love is so vast and so great and so awesome that we can't keep it in. It overflows. And just as Jesus came to give us what he already had, we end up giving it away to others as well who also need to know that they are loved by God. And that's why we're here as the church. I told you earlier that I struggle at times with insecurity. There are times that I get ready to walk out on this stage and preach, and I have these thoughts, or I hear a little voice in my head that says, who are you? Who are you to get out and preach forward a thousand people every week? Who are you to stand up there, teach God's word? And Satan starts to remind me of my weaknesses, and he starts to remind me of how I'm unworthy. And there are times even when I'm writing a sermon or trying to just do my daily task as your lead minister, that those same thoughts are there. The other day I was getting ready to leave for the office and as I was leaving for the office, I always uh, kiss my wife and kids goodbye if they're home at that time. And one thing I will tell them every now and then, I try to do it every day if I can remember, I will look at them and say, I love you and Jesus loves you. And I want to remind my family of that all the time. And so I was telling Alex that and I said, I love you, buddy, and Jesus loves you. And he looked at me and he said, Daddy, why do you always say that? I said, because I don't want you to forget. Well, I got to the office, and it was one of those tough days. You know, I'm not going to make it into more than what it was. It was a tough day, and there was a lot of distractions, a lot of stuff going on. Some negative things happened, and it was my day to write my sermon, and I just couldn't do it. Like, it was a sermon block, and I love to preach sermons, if you can't tell. I love to write sermons, I really, but I just had a mental block and couldn't do it. And so I'm trying to force myself to write this sermon for that given week. And I'm going through my notes, and what I do is I take a lot of notes on like legal pads, and I have one of those yellow legal pads, and I'm flipping through, and as I'm flipping through this legal pad, at the bottom of the page I came across this, if you want to put it up on the screen, it's my son's handwriting, and it said, Jesus love you, I think he meant loves, but still, Jesus loves you, and apparently he misspelled love the first time, scratched it out and wrote it again, but that's okay, I got the point, and in that moment I was reminded, it's not about me, it's not about my abilities or strengths. My leadership even. It's all about him and he loves me. And if he loves me, I can do exactly what he wants me to do. And I got home that afternoon and I went to Alex immediately. And I said, buddy, I saw your little note at the bottom of the page. That's awesome. Why'd you do that? And he looked at me like he was surprised that I was even asking. And I was like, why'd you do that? And he looked at me and said, daddy, I don't want you to forget and honestly, I believe that's what God wants you guys to hear today as well. As we live in this world and Satan tries to play on our insecurities, don't ever forget that you are loved by the one who created you and designed you. You are loved by our Heavenly Father. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. There is meaning and value for you and it's found in him. Don't ever forget you are loved. And when you fill your life with the love and the acceptance of God, Satan won't stand a chance. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for today and this time we've had to open up your word and study it. And I just pray that we will take from your word the message that you've given us 
that we'll be challenged by it and use it in such a way to bring encouragement to our lives. That, Father, we will not feel insecure, but as we fill ourselves with your love and your acceptance, that, Father, we can find security in you. and We will go out and live out the mission that you've given to us. I thank you for each person in this room. Thank you for each person out of Stone Canyon watching online. And, Father, I pray that everybody who's heard this message today would be reminded today that they are sincerely and dearly loved by you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.